Normally I start sermons with stories about my week. I don't have one. Can I just start reading from the Bible? Okay, good, because that's what's going to happen. Here it comes. We've been in the book of Exodus. We've been studying uh, um, the story of the plagues, and Travis got up last week and started for us the last plague as God uh, informed Moses and Aaron, the leaders of the Emancipation Project, that is the uh, freeing of the slaves that were Israel. Uh, he told them this is how it's going to end. Uh, I'm going I'm to bring uh, this, this last plague. It's going to be the worst. Uh, there's going to be death in the country of Egypt tonight. Uh, he uh, foretells them a couple weeks ahead of time that, that this is coming. They're, they're told to get ready by bringing in a sacrificial lamb, choosing one, bringing it into the home. Uh, on the night that the, the, the last plague will take place, they'll, they'll sacrifice that lamb. They'll spread the blood of that lamb on the doorposts. They'll, they'll, in, in the process, they'll, they'll experience what will for them become the Passover feast. They'll, they'll eat the meat of this lamb. It was to be uh, cooked and not boiled or, or baked or not boiled. Was, there, there was all these specific instructions, all tied to their experiences in Egypt. They were to eat bitter herbs as a reminder of the bitterness of their slavery and of their lostness in their enslavement. They were, they were to uh, eat unleavened bread. They're actually going to leave in the Passover as it's happening uh, in haste. And they're going to have these loaves that haven't risen yet. Uh, there's all kinds of symbolism that goes into the unleavened. We'll preach that sermon some other day. But, but they were told to do this, and they, they did all of it in preparation for this, this great plague, this horrible hand of death that God is going to dole out. It's, it's in um, direct line with what had happened 80 years before in the nation of Israel at the hand of Pharaoh, the god of Egypt. He saw himself as a god. He, he felt threatened by the uh, Israel, Israelites' population rise. And so he says, we've got to kind of cull the herd here. And he actually orders um, a genocide. He says, let's, let's kill all the firstborns of the Israelites and throw their babies into the river. That's where we find Moses at the beginning of his story. He's floating in a basket and, uh, and thus moves forward the story of the Exodus. So God has told Moses all that will happen in this Passover. And in verse 21 of Exodus 12, Moses is now telling these things to Israel and their elders. And Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. He says, take a bunch of hyssop. Let me pause on hyssop. Anybody know, anybody got a, a bunch of hyssop in your yard? Yeah, hyssop is, uh, you know, it's actually got different forms in different continents, but over in the, the deserts of Israel, hyssop was this like scraggly, almost like a sagebrush, you know, like the, the, the tumbleweeds that you see in the Western movies. It was that kind of like uh, brittle kind of, but when it would flower, uh, you could actually pluck it from the sides of the hills, and if you gathered the branches at the bottom, you could smash them all together and so that the leaves kind of formed a paintbrush. And so... Uh, they were told that specifically take this hyssop plant, this hyssop bush, and stick it in the blood that had been shed by the, the sacrificed lamb and spread that as it goes on over the lintel and the doorposts uh, from the blood in the basin. None of you, he says, uh, Moses tells him, God said, nobody goes outside. None shall go out of the door of this house until morning. Uh, the reason of that is that the, the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer, we know that to be the angel of God, the agent of this destruction, uh, to enter your houses to strike you. Uh, it's interesting, God, uh, as we've seen in other plagues, could have just spared Israel. 
He could have just said, you know what, this is just something I'm going to do to the Egyptians. You guys just sit tight. Uh, but he doesn't. He requires uh, these uh, beliefs, these faith actions. And we're going to talk about that in greater length today. But he goes on, he's going to go past this actual night, and he says, in the future you shall observe this rite as a statute, as a, as a ritual for you and for your sons forever. Uh, last week Travis told us that um, the entire Hebrew calendar was rearranged around this event. Uh, the Hebrews marked the beginning of their year in, in, in March, April, around our Easter, which is, coincides with uh, the Passover and uh, and Jesus was at Passover when he took the elements that were used in this Passover feast. And he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you that there's a new covenant. And I'm going to rearrange our thinking on these things. But it's all around that time. At the beginning of the Hebrew year, um, there to remember, the original Passover event is Jews. The, the rescue that God gives them from Egypt. They're going to do it forever. To always remember and when you come to the land, he's, he's again calling his shot. They were going to leave Egypt and eventually head to this land that their father, their, their chief descendant, a guy by the name of Abraham, had been promised in Genesis 15. He says, when you get to the land, as God has promised, you shall keep this service there. Passover will continue. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? I love that that's in there. Because that's what kids ask their parents. What are we doing? What's this all about? Why do I have to go to church? Okay, Jewish mothers and fathers, when your kids ask you about this, you tell them the story of God's deliverance. Verse 27, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I start preaching a certain passage or a certain area of scripture, and I just don't know how it's going to go before I start preaching it. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, talking to you guys about these plagues. As downer and as bummery as they are, they are these um, majestic manifestations of the power of our God over his creation and over all the other gods that others might worship. He's, he's still that powerful God, able to um, control and, and sovereignly uh, reign over all that is. He, he wants to come into our lives and and, and debunk our beliefs in these false gods that we take for ourselves, these idols of riches and fame and power and self that creep in. Uh, I've enjoyed talking about it. Um, but, but as we come to this last plague, uh, one more time, God makes clear as to why he's done all of the plagues, and specifically this one. He tells us uh, last week, Travis read this in verse 12 of this chapter 12. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments, because I am the Lord. Hmm. Before we uh, finish with this, this, this series of plagues, I want to kind of just revisit a couple of the specific nuances that have arised throughout the telling of their story. Now let's go back to the first three. Anybody remember what those were? First one was what? Yeah, the, the Nile turned into blood. The Nile River turns into blood. The second one is my favorite, the frogs, yeah, the hoppity hops. Uh, the third one was the gnats, these, these insects that basically come in uh, and they're, they're pests, they're pesky. Uh, not as bad as the biting flies which, which would come next. But those three, those three first plagues, anybody remember what they all had in common? 
Everybody in Egypt went through them. The Egyptians suffered because the Nile turned to blood. The frogs came and the, the gnats, uh, you know, pestered. Uh, the Israelites were not spared, but something happens on the fourth plague. God, as he's starting to uh, call his shot, as it were, with each of these plagues, uh, tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, hey, and by the way, I'm not going to make the Israelites go through this one. I'm going to spare, and he, he names the, the, the slum that they lived in, this area that they were kept in called Goshen. He says, Goshen's not going to have this, so that you will know that I am an all-powerful God. You can't just say that the flies are buzzing, they're everywhere. There's going to be like this wall. One more time. And in Goshen, it will be a no-fly zone. That's right. There it is. He does that for the rest of the plagues. Israel was spared. Now, something happens that's interesting in the seventh plague. In that plague, God says there's going to be these hailstones that fall from heaven. He says, as sure as I'm saying this to you, it'll happen tomorrow around this time. But then he instructs Moses to tell Pharaoh something interesting. He says, hey, Pharaoh... Make sure that your subjects know that if they are willing to take their herds and the servants who watch those herds out of the fields and put them in their barns or their houses, then I will spare those who would believe this warning and heed and take their herds inside. It's interesting to see the response in chapter 9, verse 20 here in this plague of the, the hailstones. It tells us that those who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried their slaves and their livestock into the houses. Apparently, six plagues in, Egypt was starting to pick up a little bit of what God was putting down. They were starting to figure out, hey, maybe our gods that we pray to all the time, and don't, don't miss this, as earnest as other religions are about their gods, these Egyptians were earnest about their gods. They, they believed that they had the power to do and, and uh, controvert anything that the Hebrew God said he would do. But <laughs> six losses in, they had started their season. Oh, and six... Uh, Egyptians were like, you know what, I think my cows are going to go inside now. <laughs> and off they went. But as is the case in our world, even with all the evidence that God gives us of his existence and of his power and of his might, there were still those who did not pay attention. Uh, they didn't heed the word of the Lord, and they left their slaves and their livestock out in the field. Anybody remember how that ended? Well, it ended for those those herds and those, those men and women that were watching those herds, life came to an end. That's what happens when we don't heed. But it brings up a, a very interesting correlation to what's happening here in the last plague because in this last plague, this same kind of opportunity for choice is given the Israelites, not the Egyptians, they're gonna be judged. But the Israelites are told to act, to believe and act in faith as a part of their being spared and their sons uh, being given to them. As I uh, think about this and throughout, throughout the rest of the scriptures, study as, as the story unfolds, I think we, we're safe in saying this, that throughout history, God has chosen to redeem those that he would redeem by, by calling us to a belief that acts, that we might receive what only he can give. We're going to just break the whole Bible down in the story of redemption into these, this one simple idea that, that God calls us into faith, into a belief that shows up in some actions as a condition for him uh, granting us what only he can give. In this case, it was 
the Passover and the, the feast being observed and, the, and the, the sacrifice being made and the blood being spread as a sign to the destroyer who would come to all the other houses in Egypt to pass over that home. Israel's faith and actions brought about what only God could give. I find that in the church today, in my life, personally, and then in those that you know, hang out around Christ, um, um, we, we get parts of this right at different times. So, so we'll, we'll have this head full of knowledge and belief. We'll know the right answers, right? But for some reason, it doesn't make the journey from our heads to our hands. It doesn't make the journey from our, our heads to our hearts, and, and it doesn't become a part of us in such a way that it, it goes beyond just mental assent. And what God is um, pretty clear on throughout Scripture is that I'm going to know what you believe by how you live. You can't just say that you believe and, and not have it show up in the fruit of your lives. Now, knowing that, a lot of us get busy doing the fruit part. Uh, but as we've seen through Scripture, a lot of times people can be righteous, seem holy because of all the acts they do. See the Pharisees in the New Testament. Uh, see some you know, of, of the, the, the more pious Jews of the Old Testament. But God's condemnation for them is that they don't have a heart behind their actions. They don't have a belief or a, or a, a trust or a faith in this God that they're seeking to appease. In fact, their actions are only about them looking good in front of the others who are acting. <laughs> no, the two go together. And the two go together in such a way that when God wants to bless us in life, he can bless us. But don't hear me say here this morning that I'm giving you some formula that if I believe right and I act right, then God's gonna give me what I want. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying absolutely, because God is God and we are not. We should believe right. And absolutely, if we believe right, we should let that belief flow over into our actions and we should act right. And we should do both in the hopes that God will give us what only he can give. And sometimes what he needs to give us, we may be like, hey, no thanks. I'm gonna pass on that one. That sounds hard. That sounds like a loss more than a win. But as we mature in our faith, as we grow in our understanding, God's not here to make us happy necessarily, does all the time. Is anybody grateful for that? But he's here to make us holy, to set us apart. Not to draw us into pleasure, but to draw us deeper into servitude and, and deeper into disciples, to, to, to help us to believe in him better so that we can choose in him better. So, so that we can act in the ways that he's called us to and receive from him what he desires for our lives. So as we kind of move forward in the story of the Passover, we're gonna see these things play out in the lives of Israel. And we're gonna actually watch as they believe what God says. We need to do that as well. We're gonna see them, because of their belief, act as God instructs. And that should be our mission in life. And then we're gonna watch as in the end, they receive what only God can give in part because they have by faith believed and acted according to his will. So let's just walk through those three. The first one is believing what God says. Look what it says in verse 27 of Exodus 12. It says, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, 
one of the only times in the giving of the plagues, I think the only time in the giving of the plagues, that this is the Israeli response. Hearing that God is going to end things on this night, spare their children, believing it fully, believing it so much so that before this has ever occurred, they celebrate the feast that in the future will be the remembrance of this occurrence. Is everybody with me on that? They believe, and therefore, because they believe, they worship. I don't know what you're doing when you're singing the songs. Some of you don't sing. That's a personal choice. My encouragement to you, whether it's a warbly mess or not, make a joyful noise unto our Lord. Is everybody with me on that? Especially you fellas, love you guys. I know we're men. It's a singing, we don't do that. Sing. Worship God. It's a good thing. You were made to do it, okay? But moving along, I don't know what you're thinking about when you are singing. I'll, I'll testify. I can make it look really good what I'm singing and be thinking about the game that's going to be coming on at 1 o'clock. I wonder if, you know, they're going to start Jameis. Oh, no, right? That whole thing. <laughs> or I can be thinking about, you know, where we're going to go next, you know, uh, which restaurant. Oh, I hope we get this one. Or, or whatever. And we can be thinking all kinds of things even as we worship. Here's what God wants from us. He wants our worship as it does here with Israel to line up with our beliefs. Now, this isn't the first time that Israel is reported to have worshiped God as, the, as, as they heard Moses and Aaron talk. Back in the chapter four, right, way, way before the plagues even begin, um, Moses uh, you know, comes from Midian with Aaron and they uh, go to the elders of the Jewish people and they say, listen, here's the plan. God is going to free you from slavery. Remember that week? We talked about it. And the, the, the people having heard this were so excited. Who wouldn't be? As slaves, we're going to get freed? Awesome. They were so excited that they worshiped God. How long did that last? Like three verses. Because then when Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, hey, we just visited with the elders. We told them God's plan. Here's God's plan. You're supposed to let the uh, Israelites go. Remember what Pharaoh said? Who is this God that you speak of? He's not my God. And what is this idea that the Israelites have that they need to be freed? They're not going anywhere. In fact, apparently, we're not working them hard enough because they can even entertain this idea. So how about this? How about all the bricks that they've been making for us so that we can build our cities? How about we make it so that they have to go secure the straw that we've been providing for them up till now? How about they have to get their own straw and they still have to make the same number of bricks? What happened was exactly what God said would happen, by the way. Remember what he told Moses and Aaron at the bush? I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart like four times before he ever gets to Egypt. Uh, Moses is told by God, this is going to be a rough go. I'm not going to let Pharaoh say yes the first time. But Moses, like us, has selective hearing sometimes, selective reading when it comes to the word of God. We like the good parts. So, uh, upon hearing the news that they would be you know, doubling down at their work and that the oppression would increase rather than be relieved, the, the elders of Israel meet Moses and Aaron on the steps of the palace and they just give them the business. Like so many people do, when they have this kind of uh, worship or this, this uh, momentary excitement about God based on what they think they're gonna receive because they're doing it, when God doesn't come through with that, um, their, their actual beliefs behind their worship are exposed. They, the Israelites, uh, had hoped for this and had received this. And because they did, they're like, well, we're out. And Moses, you're a dummy. 
We're not just out on this God who you said would save us. We're out on you who he sent. Remember what Moses did? He gets on the red phone. There's no red phone. But he talks to God immediately and he says, God, why would you do this? And God calms them down like he always has and will continue to do even as they head towards the promised land. And he says, Moses, I got you. Remember Moses finally, finally settles down enough that he can start leading well in the plagues. But it's all tied to belief. Worship is meant to be tied to belief. Here in this last plague, the Israelites, I believe, were worshiping from full hearts. They'd seen nine plagues, been spared six of them. They're probably at this point pretty convinced that God means what he says, that God can do what he promises. And so when Moses comes this time and says, hey, tonight's the night, their worship is anchored in their belief. Hmm. So what's that got to do with us? Well, here's the rub. Uh, we don't live in Egypt, uh, but we live in a broken world. Uh, there's lots of things that we need freedom from, right? Sins and habits, uh, darknesses that kind of just visit our lives. Uh, God comes to those spaces that we find ourselves in and he says, this way, believe, act, follow me. And we have choices in those situations to believe right and act right and receive from him only what only he can give. But if you're like me, a lot of times things like fear of the unknown, disappointments of how we thought things would go. Uh, sometimes just you know, unabashed rebellion. What, what, just not wanting to believe. I wanna believe what I wanna believe. These are the things that stand in the way of my belief and obedience, trusting and obeying. I was reading this week in a church historian by the name of Claire Davis, a dude, uh, he wrote this. He says that uh, the Christian life is a combination of amnesia and deja vu. <laughs> uh, he says, I often find myself, I know I've forgotten this before. As we get older, anybody want to testify to that? Age just kind of brings that on. But, uh, but in the spiritual life especially, we are so prone, as the hymn says, to wander. We just kind of leave, we just forget or choose to forget what we know to be true. And then in moments where we're like, oh, that's right. I believe in a God who is able, who is over all these things. I believe in a God that wants my allegiance, not just my, you know, tacit, ugh. God gives us those V8 moments all the time. That's, you gotta be a certain age. But uh, he draws us back to himself and to our correct belief. What I gotta ask us is, uh, what are we believing in life right now? Are we believing the right things about our God so that in those right beliefs we can make right choices that will lead to right actions and bring about the things that only God can do? Or are we functioning in false beliefs? Choosing because of our ignorance or because of our willfulness or because of our forgetfulness, wrong things to believe and then throwing the whole system in a whack as a result. I came out to a security meeting this, uh, just yesterday morning 
uh, with all the guys in the black shirts. I'm so grateful for our, our security team. Is everybody grateful for them? Me too. There's about, there's about 40 guys on this team who serve throughout the week and in all of our buildings and up at the chapel, and, and they were talking, going through all their, you know, uh, you know, their um, security stuff. And, and, uh, and so they asked me to come up here so we could talk about, you know, security on Sunday mornings and stuff like that, and I was more than happy to do that, and I just love these guys, and so I thought, you know, I'm going to tell them I love them like a man. I'm going to buy them donuts, right? Because that's how men say, I love you. Have a sugary carb. There you go. I walk in and they're all meeting out there in the foyer and I've got my hole-in-one donuts, which are the best donuts, just stop, just go there, okay? And I'm not getting paid for that, I should. Anyway, um, so I bring in my hole-in-one donuts, my, my emblems of love, and of course there's you know, three dozen Dunkin' Donuts on the desk already, and so I put my three dozen next to those three dozen. We've got a lot of donuts at this point, but then I look over and it's Don Akins, our security director's uh, birthday, and someone has brought him this big chocolate cake. I mean, it is like death on a table right there, right, you know? I mean, now, let me say this about donuts. Nobody in here has to ever eat another donut again. You'll be just fine. Nutritionally speaking, donuts, not necessary. You can try to talk yourself into it. You know, the four food groups are in there, right? You got the eggs, it's protein. You got the flour, that's grains. You know, you can, you can say the whole thing, but nobody needs a donut. And so what it comes down to when it comes to donuts is what do I believe? What do I value? What, 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 what are my, my heart's uh, aims here? And when I'm going to do what's best for me and what I know from, you know, health class in sixth grade until now I should do with my body? Or am I going to taste me some cream-filled glazed goodness <laughs> and slam one of those suckers? I'll tell you what I did. I had a donut before the meeting. I came back after the meeting was over and I was going to grab my second donut when someone said to me, have you tried the cake? And I said, well, no, I haven't. Well, you should. It's delicious. So I grabbed the cake and I slammed that down. And then, like a man, I had that second donut. That's what I did. No, don't clap for that at all. Eleanor's not clapping. I let what I believe shaped my choices, which became my actions, which have produced my outcomes. <laughs> okay, so that's maybe on a, a lesser scale of importance. But let's come back to the spiritual realm, shall we? Two days ago, it was Friday, and I woke up and I went to go do the thing that I, besides hanging out with my wife, uh, love to do most in, in my leisure time, uh, which is play a round of golf. My back's been out. Like my spine has been at one of these angles, right? So I tried to swing a golf club on Saturday morning and I got three shots into my round and I was like, this is dumb, that's it. I, went, I drove straight to the chiropractor, by God's grace. Someone had canceled their massage. I got me a good rub. They gave me a good pop, pop, pop. And I started the process there, but I was lamenting the fact that I wasn't able to do the one thing that is kind of my oasis, my, my time away. Uh, I was driving home, and uh, I'll tell, tell you more about this in a, a second, but uh, I ran over some construction, something that put a hole in my tire, so I got that going for me. 
I get home that day, and, he, and here's what happens sometimes. If, if you had a, a plan for your day and all of a sudden there's no plan anymore, uh, that day can be filled with other things that are productive, or sometimes that day can be filled with just sitting down and stewing. Anybody ever done that? And here's what someone taught me a long time ago. In life, in this area of all-important belief, um, we can choose to focus on what we want to. Uh, they put it to me, this, I'm not trying to make this a donut sermon, but they put it to me in terms of a donut. You can look at the donut, or you can look at the hole. You can see the, and I've already kind of messed this up, the good things that are, or the bad things that aren't, or, or the things that aren't that are bad. And on Friday, I decided to head in the direction of the hole. And I started asking myself questions. God, what are we going to do with the chapel? God, what are we going to do with our, our church here? God, what am I going to do with my kids? Can I just hit them already? <laughs> you can't, just so you know. So they'll come back to you. God, what am I going to do in life? The bigger questions. What am I doing? Um, my unwitting wife came home and we had a conversation that um, kind of involved some of these things. And because I was in this hole, um, I just had a, a rough night. And I've apologized to Eleanor for that, but it happens. It happens to all of us that we can, uh, because of discouragement or fears or rebellion, and we could just believe the wrong things and it throws the whole of life off. And so I ask you again, as God had to confront me in the last couple of days, what are you believing? What are you looking at and choosing to shape your life with? It's a crucial question. One that I pray all of us, as we have God's grace and, and the chance to pull back and can answer with saying, I want to believe. Increase my faith, God. Take me further into what it is to know you and trust you so that my choices can be right and my actions can be right and I can receive what only you can give. What do you believe in? Uh, the story goes on here in, in, uh, in Exodus, though. Uh, they believed and they worshiped, but, but then they acted just as God instructed them to act. It says that in verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and they did so. They just did it. It's like a Nike commercial. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. No questions. No like, well, why does it have to be unleavened bread? No like, you wanted us to bring our best, no questions, they just did it. Why, because they believed correctly, so the choosing and the acting just followed along. The Bible speaks of this in lots of different places. In James chapter two, it tells us that if if we have faith, it's absent of its works. If it's faith without works, then that faith is dead. There's no faith at all, James says. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about you know, faith being this, uh, this assurance of what we hope for. That's verse one, and this conviction of the things that we can't see. But it goes on to, de to describe that Amazing verse, by, by giving illustrations of Old Testament characters who over and over again believe in God, but then show it in the things that they do. It starts with Abel. He's the brother of Cain. Um, he's the first murder victim in history, but uh, he was commended here in Hebrews 11 because by faith he gave a proper sacrifice and God received it and blessed him for it. You know, the next guy in the story is uh, Noah. 
One of my favorites, right? Because Noah had faith. It takes a lot of faith to build a cruise ship in a desert. And that's what he did. It goes on, it talks about Abraham, the father of the Jews, and how by faith he was just minding his own business and God comes to him and says, we're gonna move. And Abraham says, where? And he says, don't worry about that, just move. How are you guys with that? Most of us want the where, right? But by faith, it tells us in Romans and in other places, um, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. It was the difference maker in his relationship with God. You go a little further, other uh, great characters of the Old Testament are mentioned. You get to Moses and four different times he is commended for his faith in the story of the Exodus. But his faith was revealed in his actions. So my question to you secondly today is this, how are we acting in life right now? How are we believing? But (laughs) how are we acting? We may be believing all the right things, but those beliefs aren't translating into the things that we do. Like I can walk up to every Christian and say, hey, do you believe in the, the church and the body of Christ and the importance of gathering together? They'll say, yeah. And then I'll say, how often do you go? And they'll say, I don't. Well, we missed something there. Because our beliefs haven't translated into our actions. I told you about that nail in my tire. I was over there by Lumsden and Lithia Pinecrest where all that construction has been for the last 27 years or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I went over a, a manhole and uh, I've gotten nails in my tire before, that's not a big deal. Whatever this was, it felt, you know, I looked at it, it was like this big wide piece of steel. It looked like a, a throwing star that a ninja had thrown at my tire. And I, I, uh, it, it, was, it was such a big piece of metal that it actually started warping my back right tire as I was driving. So I pulled over in this, this parking lot uh, Friday morning to see what was going on. And I opened my door and has anybody opened your door and heard the hiss of air leaving one of your tires? Well, this wasn't like one of those gentle like This was like right? It was like this huge, because this huge piece of metal was in my tire. And so I set my, my gauge. I have one of those newer cars that has like tire gauges on the, on the screen. And I set my gauge and I just watched as I drove from where I was uh, uh, to where I wanted to get my tire fixed. I watched the pressure in my tire just go down by like 20 pounds per square inch in the time that it took me. I was on 60. I have to drive down 60 to where I get my tires fixed. And I'm just praying the whole way, Lord, just make it, just get me there. I don't wanna break down on 60, right? By God's grace, I pulled into Sam's, that's where I get my tires done. And they, uh, they didn't give me a new tire, I paid for a new tire. Contrast that with my daughter. Monday night, she was over in Clearwater doing something for her uh, job and, and her car uh, dash lights came on. Check engine. She's owned a car for the last three or four years now. Uh, she's a smart girl, she knows that's bad. But she's over in Clearwater. Hmm, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it's just a, you know, it's an older car. Maybe it's just a faulty switch or a faulty, you know, uh, light. Uh, And so she decides, I'm going to try to make it back. And so she's starting to drive back from Clearwater. She stops at one of the lights, and now all the lights on her dash start going off. Her car stops, and steam begins to rise from her hood. She's got a hole in her radiator. She didn't know that at the time. But if she had just stopped back when the first light came on and pulled over and then called her dad. Uh, when I got there, I'm not a mechanic, but I know enough to look at the coolant and see if there's anything in the, in the overflow 
Uh, we could have just filled her radiator with enough fluid for us to get back to Brandon. We wouldn't have had to call a tow truck, but because she didn't know that, and because she tried to drive it back, well, now there's more to be done on this car. And so we had the 10 o'clock tow that night, and the next morning she got to have her first adulting experience with car repair and uh, finding out how much that costs. And she, you know, wishes if she had the do-over, you know, that she would have been knowledgeable enough to know when to pull over enough. So that's my question for us as we kind of close this morning. Almost, sorry. I'm almost done. Uh, not only are, what are we believing, but, but how are we acting? Are, are, are there lights going off in our life? Are there things in our life where we're like, Something doesn't seem right here. Maybe I need to change how I've been living, the people I've been living with, uh, the things that I've been aiming for. Maybe there needs to be shifts in my beliefs, but, but certainly maybe there, there are things in my life that, that have to go. They aren't in line with what God would have for me. And because they're not, I can't receive from him what only he can give. Uh, Israel is gonna go like this. In this regard, they're going to have good days where they believe and act and God gives them what only he can give and they're going to have bad days throughout their history where they completely go off the rails. You and I, unfortunately, I pray it's not this, it's just more this as we go on in life, but you and I are prone to the same kinds of disbelief and wrong actions. Uh, I'm asking you this morning to run a check. Am I believing right? Am I acting right? Because when we line those things up correctly, God is able to give us what only he can give. That's the only way that we can receive what only God can give. And here in the story of the Passover, we know how that, if we've read it before, we know how that turns out. Let me read it to you. It says, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborns of the livestock. So just so we're clear on this, it wasn't uh, according to class or just the government officials who lost their firstborn. It was Pharaoh all the way down to the, you know, the, the worst offender in prison. And just you know, to kind of you know, show that he was serious, God kills the firstborn of the livestock. The livestock had been taking it on the chin in these plagues. Has anybody noticed this? And Pharaoh rose up that night, it tells us, and he and all of his servants and all of Egypt, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Have you ever read over a sentence in the scripture and you just be like, yeah, of course there was a great cry. Try to put yourself in Egypt that night. The entire nation has lost a son. I mean, put yourself on your street that night. If you know the families and the kids, imagine every one of those houses experiencing the worst kind of loss that can happen, the death of a loved one. A whole nation is in mourning, in shock. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. So we're like, yeah, God spared the Israelites. There was someone dead in the Israelite homes too, right? It was that lamb. Because it's death for a death. In our age, it's Christ. Christ's death spares us the death that we deserve, right? So then Pharaoh on that night summoned Moses and Aaron. This is different. For all the nine plagues before, who's come to Pharaoh? Moses and Aaron. They're the initiators, right? But now Pharaoh, this is it. And it's the middle of the night. He's not waiting for business hours. He's like, get him over here now. 
And he says to them, up, go out from among the people, both you and the people of Israel. And he says, go and do what? Serve the Lord. A couple things there. He was adamantly opposed to this service. He, he made a couple deals to maybe, you know, get them a halfway serve. Um, serve within Egypt in the, in the country lines. Serve just the men. They can go across, you know, away from his, but just leave your kids and your herds. He had made, but he'd never truly wanted them to go and fully serve their God. And he had hardly ever called their God the Lord, Yahweh. But here he says, yeah, get out of here and go and serve this Lord. He's basically saying, you win. And me and my gods, we lose. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. He says, take your flocks, take your herds as you have said and be gone. And then he gives one more, and bless me also. <laughs> He's asked Moses and Aaron to pray for him a couple times. He's a funny guy. Now, outside in the streets, the Egyptians were urgent with the people of Israel to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. If, if these guys stick around, it started with our kids, but we're all gonna die. And so the people took their dough, the Israelites took their dough before it was leavened. It hadn't had a chance to rise. Back then you would knead the dough for the morning that you could bake and have toast with. But here it was in the middle of the night and the dough had not had a chance to raise. There's other sermons on the leavening and all that stuff, but they left in haste the dough and the leaven had not taken effect. Their kneading bowls were bound on their cloaks, on their shoulders, they're just... If you're going to eat on the road, you can't stop off at like, you know, uh, Hardee's or McDonald's back then. You've got to carry it with you. And so they're carrying all their food, all their herds with them. And this is interesting. What it says, the people of Israel had given, excuse me, had also done as Moses had told them. What had Moses told them? Uh, to ask the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. This was in accordance with the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 15, God had told Abraham, hey Abe, there's gonna come a time when your descendants are gonna be in captivity and I'm going to free them. And when they leave that country that they're in captivity to, they're going to be given the spoils of that country. God had prophesied this hundreds of years before it's happening. Moses had been told this at the bush and Exodus 3.22, God said this to Moses. You're going to leave, and you're not just going to leave. You're not just going to sneak out at night. It's not going to be some kind of clandestine, you know, Shawshank Redemption, you know, escape. You're going to walk down Broadway. And as you leave, Egypt is going to give you their riches. <laughs> Verse 36 tells us, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they left them what they uh, had asked. And they, thus they plundered the Egyptians. You know that word plunder? You know what it's almost specifically used in relationship to in the scriptures? Military victory. To the victor go the spoils, right? And so Israel and other nations would have, have victory in, in, a, in a military uh, conquest and, and they would plunder those that they had conquered. So just so we're clear, here's what God did in the plagues and in this final plague specific, specifically is he took this abject, impudent, powerless race, the children of Israel, the slave class of Egypt. And in Ted Plague's time, he took them from being oppressed, indentured and captured, to being free and conquerors. They never swung a sword, they never met with the militia. They never devised a battle plan. 
but by God's hand, they walked out of Egypt victorious, carrying the spoils of a battle they never fought. Oh, that we would get that in life. That when things seem impossible, we have a God who is able. And if we're just willing to wait and believe and then to act on what we believe, we can receive from him what only he can give. I won't guarantee that it'll always be riches and pleasure but I will guarantee what will always be for our best and it will always be for his glory. What do you believe in? How are you acting? These are the questions we must answer in the Christ life. We're gonna sing a song as we close today. And I'm gonna have you stand for just a second. We're gonna pray as we close. Will you stand? Go ahead and stand. They're like, is he done? Yeah, I'm done. I want to give you an opportunity, just in the quiet of this moment, to ask those two questions of yourself. What am I believing and how am I acting? And I want you to ask God, as one of the prophets did, see if there be any wicked way in me. Help me see, God, if there's anything that I need to change. Draw me to it. Take me from here ready to believe right so I can choose right and act right and receive from me what only you can give. Ask that of yourself. Just bow your heads, leave them up, do whatever you want. But ask that of your God. We sang this song earlier. It's a song of truth that God gave us the very breath in our lungs. He's worthy of everything in our lives. Let's sing that as a commitment to him.